Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of, uh, the book of Judges, the book of Judges, uh, chapter 4. Uh, this morning, we'll be beginning with verse number 1. You know, I've been blessed in my uh, life to, uh, to have a lot of great friends. And as all uh, uh, y'all, I'm sure, know, is that the great thing about having good friends is uh, how they uh, talk you into doing stuff that you don't want to do. And uh, I remember all through my life, you know, there would be, uh, there would be friends. They would, uh, they would see things that uh, they would want me to do or see things that I wanted to do but was too scared uh, to do it. And uh, they would say, hey, you need to go, you need to go and do this. And, uh, you know, they'll say, well, uh, I'll say, make this excuse like, well, you know, I don't have the time or, you know, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. And then uh, they would look at me and go, well, if you're scared, just say you're scared. And that was just their way of saying that all I was doing is making excuses for the reality that I was just really scared. And today that we're going to meet somebody that God wanted to, to use, that God had a great vision and a great plan and a great purpose for their life, that God wanted to use him to do something great. But he started making excuses as to why he couldn't do it. But deep down, really what was in his heart is that he was scared. And the truth is that this morning that God wants to do something great in your life. He has a purpose for each and every one of you. But a lot of times we want to give God excuses. But in really what it mounts down, boils down to is that we're scared. And so this morning, I wanted to read this story. And I want it to give us courage about how God can work through us, but also show us the warnings of what can happen if we let fear getting in our way of what God wants to do in our life. So if you turn into the book of Judges chapter 4, begin with verse number 1, it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. After Ehod died, and the Lord sold them into the land of Joban, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. And the commander of his army was Sisra, who lived in Hasbath Hegron. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he opposed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah the prophetess, the wife of Lippath, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Roman and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abiram, from Kishet Nephrael, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, uh, taking 10,000 from the people of Nephitao and the people of Zubalin, and I will draw out Sestra, the general of Judas, the general of Joban's army, to meet you by the river of Kadesh with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will go, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, 
the road in which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sistra into the hand of the woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to the Kadesh. And Barak called out Zumbalan and Neophyte to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his head, with, and Deborah went up with him. We know the book of Judges, and we know it famously for the cycle of sin and, and uh, judgment by God and the lament of the people as God would put them under judgment. They would realize their sin, and they would turn back to him after he would raise up a, the, a judge or raise up a leader to deliver them. And the repentance of that deliverance would usually last for about the lifetime of that particular judge that God would raise up. And after that, they would go back to what sin they were doing before. And, um, and just the people of Israel just fell into that cycle of sin. And it's that cycle of getting into trouble, that cycle of facing God's judgment and for God to bring them out and for them to, uh, to rescue them and for them to just come back to God only just to go back to what they were doing. And as we read through the book of Judges, it sadly all the time reminds us of how we can be as believers, doesn't it? How we can just ride this coaster ride of getting close to God and then getting distracted by the world and going back to the way that we used to live. And, um, and, and then we just go back to our sin and then we get ourselves in a mess and then we cry out to God, God, get us out of this mess and God delivers us out of this mess and we get close to God for a while and then we just go back to the way we were. We just kind of fall into that cycle. And today we see the story of a man named uh, Barak. And I know I'm going to say his name differently every time I say it, but just know as I say anything that starts with a B, what I'm really trying to say is Barak. <clears throat> so we find Barak that God wants him to do. Barak, as the people of Israel have found themselves being, uh, being under hardship because of their sinfulness under the evil kings uh, that they were facing. And for 20 years, they faced oppression. And God wanted to use Barak as an instrument to deliver his people out. And he knew it. How do we know he knew it? Because when he finally had Deborah come up into Sam, who was the prophetess, said, Barak, don't you know, don't you know what God wants to do in your life? That's what she said. She said, hasn't God told you this? And so what he said to Barak is, you know deep in your heart what God wants you to do. And so many times that describes, actually all the time that describes us as believers. It's not a fact of we don't know what God wants us to do. We mean that not only in a, in a general sense, that we know what God's instructions are for our life. You know, you don't leave church on Sunday morning and go home and uh, the people who slept in instead of coming to church say, well, what did the preacher preach on? And you say, well, you ain't going to believe this. But God doesn't like it when we sin. And they look at it like, really? Or you go home on Sunday and someone, well, or you go to, um, to the Waffle House to get your lunch 
And uh, you made up with some people who uh, stayed up last night, so they missed church. And they come up to you and say, what did the preacher preach about? I said, well, you ain't going to believe this, but that preacher told me something I ain't never heard before in my life. He told me that Jesus wants me to love my neighbor. We know in our hearts, in our lives, what God wants us to do. We know that God wants us to tell lost people about Jesus. We know that God wants us to love our families. We know that God wants us to be an example. We know, we know what God wants us to do, but we just don't do it. And that's where Barak was in his life, is that he knew exactly what God wanted him to do, but he wasn't willing to do it. And that's why he needed someone to tell him. Isn't it something that what God wants you to do in your life, it's so obvious of how God wants, some, wants, uh, wants to use you in your life. It's so obvious what God wants to do for you. It's so obvious what change you need in your life that other people can see it. And isn't it amazing how that works? Is I can see clearly what God wants to do in Anne's life, but I can't see anything about what God wants me to do in my life. You know, we can always fix other people a lot easier than we can fix ourselves, isn't it? And God knew that's the way that we were, and that's why he put us into churches, and that's why he gave us a community of believers. So uh, I can fix your problems, and you can fix my problems, and we can just all be, uh, be on the way of what God wants us to do. And so what Deborah was telling Barak was not nothing new. But what, what uh, Deborah was doing is bringing Barak into conviction, saying, hey, this is what God wants you to do. You know it, but I'm looking you straight in the face, and I'm holding you accountable, saying, this is what God wants you to do, and you're not doing it, so you need to get busy doing it. And that's what we do here on Sunday morning. We all know what God wants us to do, but our minds wander, our minds forget, Our minds get lost in the world. Our minds get so lost and distracted by the things that are going on in our life that we just forget. And so we come here on Sunday mornings and we sit and we open God's word and we are reminded of what God has for us. We're reminded of God wants in our life and it causes us to conviction. It causes us to turn and conform our lives to be people who are living out what God wants us to do. We're not learning anything new this morning. You're not going to learn anything new next morning, but we come to draw our hearts and our minds back to what we know that God wants us to do. That's what Nathan did for David when he exposed his sin. David knew what God's law was. David knew that God hated adultery. God, uh, David knew what he did was wrong, but he was so lost and distracted in his sin and his desire to cover it up that he forgot. He forgot what God's law was. And so God sent Nathan to remind him, say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And so Nathan drawed him to Conviction drawed him into remembrance. 
of what we're supposed to be doing and what he was supposed to be doing. And so I want us to think and know for certain that God has something for you in your life, that he has general instructions for all of us of how he wants to live us to live our lives but we are not living our lives we are not living in accordance to what God wants to do in us and through us and we are not abiding in God's word and so he's asking us this morning he's asking us why aren't you living the way that I've called you to live and he's also speaking to us specifically and individually and saying hey I know I know you have something on your heart. I know that God has put something in your heart that you know that you're supposed to do, but you haven't been doing it. And so God wants to draw you this morning through the Scripture, and He wants to say to you, hey, why haven't you been doing what I have called you to do? And that's what Deborah did. He said, why? Why aren't you doing? Why aren't you doing what you know for certain in your heart, what you're supposed to be doing. And then what he says, well, well, uh, if you go with me, uh, I, I'll go, but uh, if you ain't going to go with me, I ain't going to go. Barak was scared. Can you really blame him? For 20 years, they were oppressed. They were oppressed by these Canaanites they were oppressed for 20 years. And in chapter 15, there's a poem that Deborah wrote following this victory. And at the beginning of the poem, it talks about the state of affairs that existed there in Israel under the impression of the Canaanites. And it was so severe that people wouldn't even walk down the roads because they were scared of the raiders that you would go into town and there would be nobody in the town squares because they were afraid, that you could go throughout all of the brave men of Israel and among thousands of them, you may not even find one that even had a sword. They were oppressed. They had failed. And eventually that sort of wears on you to the point that you think that you couldn't do anything. So that weared on his heart. And also he was probably scared because these Canaanites, they had an army of 900 iron chariots. And he said, well, what could we do against them? And he was probably also scared because not only if you were to say, well, this is what God wanted me to do, that not only would I have to convince myself that we can do this, but I was in charge of raising up the army. So not only do I have to convince myself that we could pull this off, but I have to convince myself enough that we could do this, that I could convince 10,000 people, other people, to go with me. And so he was scared. He was scared of the Canaanites, he was scared of other the people around him. He was scared of the failure. But maybe most importantly, he was scared of going in it alone. Isn't it that way we are? We could probably all sit in agreement and say, you know what? This world needs to be a better place. And we could probably all sit in agreement 
to say that how we need to be, how we need to change. But who among us would be the first to make the change? We could probably all sit in agreement and say amen to say that this community needs Jesus. That the lost need to come to him. But nobody's willing to be the first to go out there and lead. It's hard. It's hard to do something when you're the only person that's doing it. It's hard to be the person to take the lead when everybody in your class is doing one thing, when everybody in your school or in your work is doing another thing, and everybody says, well, this ain't right, this should be different. But a lot of us just don't have the strength to stand up to be the first to make the difference. Because when you're the first, there's going to be the ridicule. When you're the first, there's going to be the doubt, the doubters. When you're the first, there's going to be the finger pointing. When you're the first, there's going to be the name calling. When you're the first, you're just standing there all alone. And so instead of facing that, we just sit back and we wait for someone else to do it. But you know what? Those people are just as scared as you are. Scared of being alone, scared of being by themselves, scared of being ridiculed, scared of being called names. And so they don't do it and you don't do it and it never gets done because deep down inside we are scared. Because he thought he was going alone. But if Barak would have gone by himself, he would not have been alone, would he? God would be with him. But we freely fail to recognize God as a person, don't we? When we're by ourselves and uh, God calls us to do something and nobody else is doing, you're saying, and you say, well, I'm, I, I don't want to do it because, uh, you know, nobody else is doing it and I'm going to be alone. You are not recognizing God as a person. You are not recognizing God as someone who is able to act. You are not recognizing God as someone who has power. You are not recognizing God as someone who can bring deliverance. You're not recognizing God as someone who could bring salvation. You are, in a sense, admitting that you don't believe in God when you say, when I do something, and if there's no other person with me, then I'm by myself because you're not recognizing God. But thanks be to God. If he calls us somewhere, then not only is he with us, but he's also gone before us. So we shouldn't be scared. But uh, Barak was scared and and says, well, I'll go if uh, you will go with me. And so Deborah agrees and said, I'll I'll go with you. And that's what what we should do. You know, when we have a a brother or sister who says, man, I want to do something, but uh, I just don't want to be by myself, then uh, we, should, we should help that person. You know, we should help them in their weakness and help give them strength by going along and doing with them and encouraging them and going along uh, beside them. And that's the way that we, we should be. And that's the way that we should act. But we should know that when we, God has called us to step out and do something and you say that, hey, I would do it if God will do this, if you'll go with me, then you have to understand that that diminishes your reward. And that's what Deborah says. Look, I'll go with you. 
But because you didn't show faith in God by standing up and doing it alone, by standing up and doing what God has said to do in your life without any help or with anybody else with you, you lose some of your glory. You lose some of your blessing. You're going to go and you're still going to be successful, but you're not going to get the glory for it. God has called. God has called us to do things in our life, and we know what they are. But we refuse and delay in our doing it because we are scared. But what we have to see is what happens when we trust God and we take Him at His word. So Barak goes and Deborah goes with him, and he summons up the army and he gets the the uh, people from Nephi and he gets the uh, people from uh, the uh, tribe of Zerubbabel. And some others jump in there, and they go, and they're going to go battle, and they are lining up, and they're in their marching, they're in their formation, they're singing their army songs, and they are marching to the mountain. And before they even get to the battle, listen to what God has already done. Look at verse number 15. It says, And the Lord said to Sistra, and all his chariots, and all his army, uh, before Barak by the edge of the sword, and Sister got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Before they even got to the battle, God had already won the war. He had put them in such a scare and in such a panic and in such a rage, they jumped off those chariots and started running. And all Barak and all those people had to do was just run and claim that victory. That's how it works. That's how it works when we trust God. When we step out and live the way that God has called us to live, God comes through for us. When we step out and do the thing that God has called us to do, we see that God has already gone before us. He has already done the hard work. And all we had to do was just show ourselves faithful and show up. That's what happens. When we trust in God and we do what God has instructed us to do, a hundred times out of a out of hundred times, we will be victorious. And so we should have confidence to do what God has called us to do. We should have confidence to overcome the fears and to go out and to step out in faith in doing what God has called us to do. We shouldn't let fear get in our way because when we trust in God, we find victory. And in that victory, we get to celebrate and give honor to Him. And the more we do for God, and the more He shows Himself to us, the greater confidence that we have, the more that we increase in our faith, and the more glory that God, what God or we give to God, the more He increases us. But what happens when we let fear get in the way? What happens when we stay scared? What happens when we say, I'm not going to do it? 
until somebody else does it. I'm not going to take the lead. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. Well, I want you to imagine this scene. The people of Israel have won the victory. There were some who came and some who didn't. And now that the victory has been won, everybody wants to be a part of the celebration. And they're celebrating to the point that Deborah sits down and she writes this poem. And she writes this poem telling about the greatness of God in chapter 15. And she talks about what God did for them. And she talks about how bad the situation was, but yet God had seen them through. She talked about all the mighty people who came and fought. But then, but then, she listed something else. Look at chapter 15. Look at that second part of verse 15 and chapter 15 and listen to what it says. Well, I'll start with the first part of 15 to kind of give you the, the elements of praise she gave for those who came. It says, the princess of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak into the valley. They rushed uh, at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds? To hear the whispering, the whistling of the flocks among the clans of Reuben, of Reuben, There was great searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher Asher set sail at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. These were the people who searched much in their heart who had much thought to say, do I want to go and be a part of this? But they chose rather instead to just keep on doing what they were doing in their daily lives. The people of Reuben stayed with the sheep. The people of Asher with their ships. And they just lived their lives the way they wanted to live. They said, I'm not going to be a part of this fight. I'm not going to be a part of this war. I'm not going to be a part of what there is that God was doing. And since they were not a part of the work, they were not a part of the celebration. Just imagine what it was like there for the festival of the great victory, of the deliverance, from 20 years of oppression. All the people who went rejoiced. But then they looked at the tribes of Reuben, and they looked at the tribes of Asher, and they looked at the tribes of Gilead and said, where were you? Where were you? God will accomplish everything that he has set out to do. And he has called each and every one of us 
to a role of what he's doing here upon this word. But know this for certain, that God's going to accomplish it with or without you. And so if you let fear stand in your way, if you let just wanting to live your life the way you want to stand in your way, God will still be victorious. God will still accomplish what He set out to do. But where would you be? And I want you to imagine a scene in heaven of all the people celebrating the great victories. A great victory of how lost people came to know Jesus. A great victory among the people who stood up for the name of Christ. The great victory of the people who went out and showed God's love to the people right here in our community. And to hear those sounds of festiveness, to hear those people starting and telling stories and talking about all that God has done, and then to look over at you and say, now where were you? Just think about what lame excuse you would have. Well, I just stayed home and played football. I just went fishing. That's what I was doing. I went hunting. I was chasing my nine to five. I was stacking that paper. And just imagine on the other side of glory just how lame and how worthless those things will be. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Where will you be in that celebration? Will you be celebrating amongst the warriors or will you be offering the excuses among the people who stayed home? God has called each and every one of us to live an excellent life, a life conformed to His Word and to His image, a life of service, a life of witness. And all of those things culminate in each and every one of us to something specifically He wants to do in us. He has called you to something and you know exactly what it is. But I ask you this morning, are you doing it? If you're scared, say you're scared. But don't let that fear leave in your heart this morning. Let us speak like, De- uh, like Deborah spoke to Barak, to call his heart to remember what God has called you to do. That you put aside the fear and come and join in the work of of Christ, so that you will be a part of the celebration. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. Lord, that even though that you don't need us, that you chose to use in each and every one of us for your glory, to be a part of your work. So, Lord, as we spend this time of invitation, Lord, each and every one of us search our heart.
Say, God, what do you want to do in me? And pray that the Holy Spirit, that we would not let fear get in the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's.